Good morning, it's June the 13th. We're reading through the Bible. We are in Ezra. Ezra is, as you remember, the rebuilding of the temple. They're sent back after Cyrus's decree. And in chapters three, four, and five, we see today that the temple is being built in chapter three. And as it's coming together, the old men start weeping because this temple is nothing compared to the glorious temple that uh, Solomon had built. Now remember, it's going to get, get refurbished by Herod down the road, and it's gonna look even more amazing than Solomon's temple. But at this particular time, as they go back as former exiles to rebuild this temple, it is nothing uh, compared to what it used to be. And then in chapter four, we see the critics, as in every good project, there's gonna be critics that are gonna disparage, and even in this case, write a letter. And the letter writing campaign actually does bring things to a halt in chapter four, uh, threatening the loss of revenue, which is always uh, leverage in any kind of debate like that. Haggai and Zechariah in chapter five, you see God step in through the work of his prophets and you see the story of the exile recounted and you see things uh, getting back on track by the end of chapter five. Our New Testament reading after the drama of the crucifixion, we are now in the resurrection chapter, John chapter 20. It's the first day of the week, which is a great reminder at the beginning of this chapter why we as Christians have always worshiped on Sunday as the day of the week that has been commemorating the resurrection of Christ. You see Mary Magdalene here, a lot of confusion as it relates to whether or not Christ is risen. Where did he go? I see this empty tomb and uh, then you see the presentation of Christ to the disciples that are there, his hands and his side, look at the scars, look at the uh, marks of my death, which by the way, I think are a unique situation for Christ. If you had a scar from a surgery or something, I don't think your resurrected body is going to reflect, reflect those. I think as Revelation 4 and 5 says, this is a unique situation in remembering the lamb that was slain, uh, Jesus Christ and his, the marks of his crucifixion, at least the hands and side, the marks there in his feet. So uh, Thomas is not there. You remember the famous line, the doubting Thomas. Thomas then is, um, Christ appears to him after his doubts. And Jesus makes a great statement about the fact that you should have believed, in essence, he's implying you should have believed the testimony of the other apostles and blessed are those who actually do do that. And while he doubted and Christ acquiesced to his doubt in the sense that he came and presented evidence, uh, Jesus said, I blessed are those who um, believe even though they don't get this tactile experience of touching the side of Thomas and the great uh, uh, expression of his devotion and worship of Christ in that passage is memorable. Our community imperative is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, actually verses 14 and 15. We come to the end of this little epistle as Paul is now saying something that's very hard to do. Our community imperative, our community command is a difficult one today, but here it is. Let me read it for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter. And remember, this isn't just the opinion of someone. This is the apostle's authoritative teaching. He says, uh, take note of that person. In other words, know who they are. You, you, in your mind, know that this person is rebellious against the truth of God's word and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed, right? He's excluded from the community. And do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Well, this happens on all kinds of levels. Certainly the ultimate level is church discipline itself when we have to discipline someone and disassociate from them. But to dissociate from someone in your life uh, may happen, you know, even in a situation where it's not um, 
you know, a, a matter of, of church discipline across the board, but I, I put it this way, as it relates to our responsibility to one another, we need to pull away and warn the rebellious. Pull away and warn the rebellious. Just straight out of this text here, we need to pull back. We need to not associate with them. We need to make it clear that we're not going to make our closest friendships and our associates people that are going to disregard the truth of God's word. Uh, I think of just that attitude of rebellion. We saw it uh, in a lot of examples in our Old Testament reading of the kings that were filled with pride and they disregarded the truth of God from Saul all the way to Hezekiah. There's just so many examples of the people that um, were just disregarding the truth and the prophets had to step up and make very harsh and stern statements to them from Samuel all the way down. And so we need to remember how we have a high standard and a loyalty that's ultimately to God. And we are going to let that devotion to God even affect our relationships when need be. So pull away and warn the rebellious. That may be a hard one, but if it relates and you have someone in your life like that, you need to step back from. Be sure you tell them why you're stepping back and say, you know, we used to hang out, but that's just not going to be the case. And uh, the Bible says that should bring shame. It may bring anger immediately, but uh, in the end, we trust they will be restored, as it says, not treated as an enemy, but being warned as a brother.